Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Therapists in the Wild. For all of our new listeners, we just wanted to give a quick re recap of where we are. So far in the podcast, we've reviewed dialectical thinking and mindfulness skills, and we are currently in the midst of the emotion regulation module, which for those of you who don't know, is broken up into two parts. So the first part is about changing your emotions, and that's what we've been working on. The second part, which we'll get to next week, is about reducing your vulnerability to emotion mind. After we're done with the emotion regulation skills in a few weeks, just to give you a little teaser, um, we're going to be bringing on some guests to discuss some special topics in DBT that you can basically use to understand how your pattern of intense, unwanted emotions may have developed and really crucially how to validate yourself in order to self-regulate. So stick with us, keep listening. We're excited for those guests in a few weeks. Yeah, I'm super, super excited to have those guests on and to talk about validation and the biosocial theory for any of you who have done DBT before. So yeah, can't wait to get to that in a couple weeks. Okay, let's jump into homework review related to opposite action, which if you didn't listen to the episode, I think, I think it's an important one to go back and listen to. What, what do you think, Molly? I would definitely agree. And like we said last week, this is one of our favorite skills. So Yes. So we may be a little biased and it is so crucial to DBT and to kind of behavior change in general. So it'll become clear, hopefully through our examples, how to use the skill. Just really briefly, opposite action is used when you change your behavior in order to change your thoughts and feelings rather than kind of waiting to feel better to change what you're doing. So it's a great way to regulate your emotions when either your emotions and or emotional intensity don't fit the facts of the situation and it would be and or it would be ineffective to act on your emotion urge. So let's hear how that went for you this week, Molly. Yeah, so I, I found myself in a situation, I mentioned um, recently that I started a new job um, over the past month or so, and there's a lot of paperwork, and I'm not used to doing this much paperwork. Mm, yep. And I'm also someone who definitely procrastinates a lot, and that is certainly starting to happen. I kind of have been finding that I've been pushing my paperwork to the bottom of my to-do list every week, mm. and you know then it just gets pushed to the next day and the next day and the next day. Um, and so, you know, while I think it is, if I were to check the facts, I think it might be justified that I feel so miserable about doing all this paperwork. Yeah, I feel like the word paperwork just kind of elicits <laughs> misery. <laughs> yeah. I hate the word paperwork. Yeah, honestly, it's just, it's, it's overwhelming too. And I think part of the problem is that I'm confused about how to do some of the things that I need to do, which makes me um, feel kind of overwhelmed. And then I want to avoid it even more. Yeah. So, you know, even though that might be justified or understandable, it also is not effective because now my to-do list is just growing and it's becoming like a bigger issue. Mm -hmm. So it um, sounds like, so it sounds like, okay, you identified the emotion, which is, I guess, kind of misery. Yeah, I think it's misery. And then check the facts. Does your emotion fit the facts? Yes. Does it? Does its intensity fit the facts? Do you think? Mm, probably not, actually, because I bet I could figure it out if I 
tried. Okay. I think the fact that I'm procrastinating isn't giving me the opportunity to really try to do some problem solving, actually. Mm -hmm. That's fair. And it sounds like regardless, it's not effective to act on the urge to keep procrastinating because then it just keeps piling up and getting worse and worse. Yeah, exactly. And I guess like going back to what you just said about identifying the emotion, definitely misery. And then I think on top of that, maybe a secondary emotion there is shame Hmm. because I'm having thoughts like, oh, I'm sure everyone else that I'm working with is having no problem keeping up with this paperwork. Maybe what's wrong with me for not being able to, you know, for being confused, Mm -hmm. those types of thoughts. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. And so, yeah, after kind of doing our episode last week, opposite action was on my mind. And so mm-hmm. I decided I was going to act opposite to the misery and shame urges to avoid and also hide that I was having this issue. And so I decided to tell one of my colleagues about the fact that I've been procrastinating on doing um, this particular task. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Opposite yeah. action to shame is to, is, to tell, is to kind of tell someone that you trust. Exactly. What's yeah. And it was a risk, you know, cause like, I don't know, you know, it's not, it's not obviously not that big of a deal, but I didn't know for all I know, she could have been like, oh yeah, I've had no problem. I've been keeping up with that every single day. Yeah. Kind of um, made you the shame worse. Yeah, it's true. Exactly. But she didn't, she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so relieved that you said that I've been having the same exact issue. I'm so confused. Wow. <laughs> and then we made a, made a plan to meet up virtually and figure it out together. Wow, that sounds extremely effective and a, and a really great use of opposite action. And something you said, I just want to kind of hone in on it for our listeners who may experience shame and may have the urge to avoid. What made you think to tell someone about this problem that you were having? Because I don't know that that would necessarily be obvious to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think it was really, it turned out to be really effective. So maybe just describe kind of why you, why you chose that action. Yeah. I'm glad that you're honing in on this specific aspect. Um, So when we think about opposite action, the first thing we want to do is obviously identify the emotion, which is shame. Second thing is we want to know what our action urge associated with that emotion is. And so oftentimes with shame, and it was certainly the case for me in this situation, my urge was to not tell anyone that yeah. I was that I was struggling in this way, um, and to kind of keep that to myself and hide it. And so, in you know, consciously thinking about, okay, I'm going to practice opposite action because I want to change the way that I'm feeling. I don't want to feel shame about this anymore. Mm-hmm. That was what prompted my decision to do the opposite action to hiding what's been going on and actually share it with somebody. Yeah. And I think effectiveness comes in there too, because with something like this, when you're learning a new skill and your urge is to not tell anyone that you're struggling, well, I mean, how are you going to learn it if no one helps explain it to you? Exactly. Yeah. There's no opportunity to figure it out if you don't, you know, practice effectiveness and try to face some, face something that's difficult like this. Yeah. Wow. Super effective. Thank you. How did it go for you this week? Yeah, so I also recently started a new job and we're, we're very much on the same, uh, same wavelength here. And I have been finding that as I've gotten busier during the day, um, my, you know, my routine 
has been very off as it has been throughout the whole pandemic. And especially now that I'm, now that I have this, you know, full day's work, it's becoming really difficult to kind of have my post-work life because of course, normally when you commute to work, then you have that transition period from work to home, whether it's in the car or on public transportation, whatever. And one of the ways that that's showing up for me is I'm having a lot of urges to kind of respond to everything all day long. I think someone mm-hmm. called this a lack of boundaries, right? <laughs> that, that working from home all the time can, can lead to a lack of boundaries. And of course, yeah. I am very lucky to be working from home during this time. And it's, it's creating some fear and anxiety around not getting to everything in one day. And so I'm noticing these urges really late at night to respond to every email, to schedule everything. And I'm just not really giving myself a break. And it's causing problems, I think. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like you have that anxiety more so? Like, why do, why do you think it's it's harder now than it was prior to the pandemic? Is it because there isn't that, like, distinction in your mind between work and home? It's yeah. All together? And I think I just have more, you know, now that I have this full-time job, I just have more e- emails to be answered, you know, and more tasks to complete. And I, I mean, I guess just so to label the emotion, I guess it would be anxiety fear um, of not getting everything done. And then, right. you know, it does it fit the facts? Yes. You know, I think adjusting to a new job and wanting to get everything done and, you know, worrying that it's going to have negative consequences if I don't. Sure. Um, does the intensity fit the facts? I mean, to be honest, I don't think the anxiety or fear is that intense. It's just kind of like, I'd rather deal with this now, you know? <laughs> Almost like it's, it's about like not having difficulty tolerating the distress that would come from not acting on the emotion. Mm, I love that. Yes, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And so I'm, I have been noticing the urge to just, you know, open my computer after dinner um, or whatever it is that it was, you know, if I'm trying to relax, to just kind of open my computer and respond to the email, let's say. So in keeping with the spirit of opposite action, um, I tried a few times this week to just act opposite to the urge, not only by just not doing it, because I think a lot of times we need to replace our urges with something else in order to act all the way opposite to them. So I did different things. Like one night I, um, you know, did something else entirely. Like I turned on a TV show that I had been really excited to watch. Another night I called someone that I had been wanting to catch up with. So, you know, I think it's really, I think it's really helpful because it's like, if we want our emotion to change, we don't, you know, it was just a really good example of how, if you want your emotion to change, don't give into the action urge because Mm -hmm. I might think, oh, I'll feel less anxious once I answer that email. However, in practice, once I answer one email, then I have to answer the five other ones that are sitting there, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And that's where like the checking the facts is like, can this actually wait till tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Technically, if, you know, in certain cases, it probably could. Um, Yeah. One thing I wanted to go back to that you said, because I really can relate to that too, is like, it's almost like you kind of had to not be on your computer at all because if you were on your computer and, and not answering emails, 
like that probably just wouldn't have worked. So true. <laughs> it's, it's almost like, it's almost like, um, an automatic instinct. When I open my computer, I just like go to my email. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, same. No, I, I had that experience like a month ago or so, um, where I noticed like having my phone at night, like I'd be trying to relax and then I would get a text about something and then mm-hmm. I would start to think about that. And so I kind of just realized like, okay, it's almost like stimulus control. You just got to like put your phone or your computer away because if you're going to be on it, then it will prevent you from really fully engaging in that opposite action. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great point. Yeah. Well, good for us. We practice opposite action. We We did it. Your practices. If you are practicing along with us. Yes. We always want to hear the skills that you're practicing. And as you know, we are huge opposite action fans and we would love, we would just love to hear, you know, how it's going for you. So today we're going to be teaching you two new skills. We're going to be teaching you about problem solving as well as mindfulness of current emotions and thoughts. And the reason that we're teaching these together is that mindfulness of current emotions and thoughts will allow you to kind of have the distance that you need from your internal experiences that is necessary in order to confront difficult situations, which you will have to do if you're trying to solve problems or even use opposite action. Yeah, exactly. So we'll start today by teaching problem solving first, and then we'll move into those specific mindfulness skills that Molly mentioned. So to get right into it, problem solving is useful when your emotion and its intensity does fit the facts and the situation is the problem. So remember this as kind of steps of your playbook. Um, When you go through your check the facts skill to figure out what to do next, the emotions and its intensity does fit and changing the situation would help. So for example, as we mentioned at the end of last episode, feeling intense anger and being really fed up with racial injustice, for example, absolutely fits the facts and the situation is the problem. So this is where problem solving comes in. And we talked about how anger can be really motivating in these situations to lead to behaviors that ultimately promote social change, for example, protesting or voting even, and how acting on that anger is a really, really important step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think we, we began to talk about last week how it's super important to know when to use a particular skill because there can be times where using a certain skill can actually not be effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of the art of this skill today of problem solving is knowing when to use it as well. Sometimes it seems like when we're feeling overwhelmed, we assume that there's a problem that needs to be solved but that's not always the true. You know, sometimes it may be actually more effective for us to use opposite action to change the feeling as opposed to trying to change the situation, which we would do in problem solving. And this might be because you either don't have control over the situation, like it's just something that you can't change um, or would cause you too much distress to try to change. Um, Or maybe because your emotional intensity doesn't fit the facts. Yeah, I feel like the more I, think about and talk about check the facts, the more I realize how crucial it is um, in terms of knowing when to use which skill. So it, it might be that your emotion or its intensity doesn't fit the facts. It may also be that it's more effective to just accept how you're feeling using mindfulness of current emotions and or thoughts, which again, we're going to discuss later in the episode. Yeah. And when your emotions or your emotional intensity 
do fit the facts and the situation is a problem and can be changed, then problem solving is the skill for you. Okay, so let's talk about problem solving because I know that when I first learned that this was a DBT skill, I had some judgments. I thought, this kind of sounds basic. I don't know, like, why are we spending time on this? You know, we, we got this. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to that. I definitely, I thought it was going to be kind of boring. And I also had judgments. And I thought, I already know how to solve problems. And I think most people do. Like, I kind yeah. of thought it was almost like, this isn't a skill that really needs to be taught. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I felt the same way. And I think that it, this is another one where the more we think and talk about it, the kind of deeper and more complex it becomes. And actually, um, I, this thought just occurred to me, there's a whole, there are whole therapeutic treatments that are based on problem solving because in fact, it is quite complicated. So let's Let's talk about why that is, why it's not just as easy as, oh, just go ahead and solve the problem and you know, you, you'll be fine. I think, I think one of the challenges and one of the reasons that we may not actually be as good at problem solving as we think that we are is that most people have kind of a go-to one or two solutions that they always tend to choose when they problem solve without fully considering all of the other potential possibilities that might actually be more helpful. And I, I think there's a lot of reasons for this, but you know, most of the time it might be because our go-to solutions feel more comfortable, they feel safe, they might you know, prevent us from getting hurt, um, or they might just be kind of what we grew up around. We always saw our parents choose certain solutions to problems or our siblings, and so that's kind of just what we're more familiar with. Yeah, I think those are all really true. And another thing that kind of gets in the way that I certainly have seen through being a therapist and also just a person is that sometimes we think we're problem solving when actually we're avoiding. So mm -hmm. for example, if someone says something hurtful to you, you may spend a lot of time considering different options for how to respond and then kind of always end up choosing to just let it go or just to move on. And you may think, you know what, this is the best thing to do. I've considered all my options and I'm going with this one. And actually it might be that you're just avoiding the confrontation. Yeah, I'm, I am certainly guilty of that, you know, of having that like go-to solution of letting it go. Or I decided that if it becomes a bigger deal, I'll address it at that point. Those types yeah. Of but yeah, then you never end up addressing it. <laughs> exactly. I, I can relate to this too. I think, again, there's a reason for this. There's a reason that we avoid confrontation. We avoid uncomfortable emotions or experiences. Makes sense given society and the events of our lives and all of that. And it's, it's just really important to address because it can, can get in the way of a lot of effective behaviors and also can get in the way of like living the kind of life you want to live and having the kind of relationships you want to have. So problem solving may involve exposing yourself to some uncomfortable emotions in the short term and solving the actual problem in the long term. Yeah. And, and we just sort of spoke about how that applies to a lot of 
kind of confrontations or difficult conversations. I, I think something we were just talking about before recording is that when a client asks for advice about whether or not to assert their needs or set a boundary, you know, maybe with a friend or a romantic partner, it kind of seems like our answer as therapists is almost always yes. And it's just a matter of figuring out how to do it, you know, how to have that difficult conversation, how to tolerate those uncomfortable emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I'm excited to start to talk with you, Liza, about how to practice problem solving in a new way. Yeah. So let's go through an example to illustrate the steps, because again, this may seem obvious and DBT has some helpful steps to make it a little bit more, I think, useful and effective. Mm -hmm. So let's take a common issue that a lot of clients bring to us in therapy that I think lends itself well to problem solving, which is coming to us and saying, I feel lonely. Mm -hmm. I think this is a perfect time to use problem solving for this skill um, or for this issue, I'm sorry because the issue of loneliness isn't really specific enough as of a problem to be solved. So like, for example, you could be lonely because you don't have many friends or you could be lonely and have all the friends in the world. And that would be a different, those would be different issues and different problems to be solved. So we need to get a lot more specific actually. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So going back to the steps of the emotion play, emotion regulation playbook. So step one, label the emotion you want to change. So in this case, okay, person's pretty clear. They say, I'm feeling lonely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Step two would be check the facts, which is our new favorite skill. <laughs> We've continued to see how useful it is. <laughs> um, so does your emotion and or its emotional intensity fit the facts? What do you think? So, I mean, I think it would depend on the specific situation. Let's say that a person is coming to us and saying, you know, I just don't have anyone to spend time with. I feel isolated. I don't have many relationships in my life. I would say, yeah, it makes sense. It's, it's the facts to feel lonely in that situation. And it might even make sense to feel extremely lonely. Mm -hmm. I agree. And so our third step in this process would be to describe the problem situation using just the facts. So just those observe and describe skills, mindfulness skills. Yeah. And this is super important because if someone said, I'm feeling lonely because everyone, hates, a, everyone hates me, I'm a loser. Um, or maybe I'm feeling lonely because everyone else in my life is terrible. I mean, what would be the problem with that? We're kind of using those judgments to describe the problem. The problem with those things are that those are problems that can't be solved. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. There's nothing we could do about that. And it's not the reality. Yes, exactly. It's not the reality. So it's not a good place to start solving a problem from a place of you know, a story that you're telling yourself as opposed to what's actually happening. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So here's where those observe and describe skills really come in. So, you know, maybe the problem is I have one friend and I want another friend. 
Mm -hmm. I think that feels a lot less daunting than saying, than for example, even saying, I have, you know, I have no friends. I don't know what to do about it. Like when you get really specific and you can, you know, really be clear about what you want to be different, that can help you start from a really great place. So I have one friend, I want one, one more. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Could even be more specific than that. I, you know, I'm feeling stuck in my life or I have this new hobby, which is, I don't know, running outdoors. And I need someone to do that with because not, no one in my life is willing to do that with me. So I'm looking to make a friend, you know, to go running with. Yeah. Be as specific as you can about what the problem is. And, and, um, and then this next step is kind of what you want to be different. So first you identify the problem, then you identify how do you want it to be different? So what's your goal? What's your ideal outcome here? Yeah. So let's use the thing I just said. I, I want a friend to go running outside and do marathons with <laughs> rather than I just want more friends because again, it's more specific. We can actually think of concrete solutions um, for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and, and even for this individual, maybe they want more friends to do activities in general with, you mm -hmm. know, maybe running marathons could be one of those things. And it could just be like, I want a friend who's interested in active hobbies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it, this is situation specific because yeah, if you, if your only goal is to have a friend to run a marathon with, I mean, the options are going to be more limited and maybe yeah. that's your goal. So it's important to be upfront about it and, and clear with yourself at the same time, you know, you're going to have way more options of places to look if your goal is just generally, I want friends to do activities with. Yeah, exactly. So like, so I think that brings up a good point too, of just, you know, thinking about how narrow or broad you want your specific goal to be. You don't want to make it too narrow to the point where it's going to be more difficult to solve, but you don't, also don't want to make it too broad to the point where you don't fully understand what you're even looking for or yeah. how it could be different. Yeah. Okay. Step five, our favorite. So this one, and this is, I think, what the really novel aspect um, or maybe not, maybe it's not novel to DBT. It's just what sets this skill apart from maybe how you've learned to do it before is just brainstorming lots of different solutions. Mm -hmm. This is like the active ingredient in problem solving. Mm. It's kind of, this is the thing that um, I, I love this stuff because it allows you to be really creative and just think of as many solutions as you possibly can. You can even ask for suggestions from people that you trust. Um, and just don't evaluate or be critical of any ideas at first. You'll get to that. So just don't worry about that. Just kind of brainstorming whatever comes to mind. Yeah. And the reason that this is the active ingredient, as you said, is that the reason that a lot of us aren't always the best at problem solving is because we just have our go-to solution, as Molly said. And so even if you ultimately end up doing the thing that you originally thought of, again, it's that kind of flexibility. It's thinking about just what are my total full range of options here um, can really make you think about the situation in, in a new way. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's kind of brainstorm solutions for this individual in this example who's maybe looking to make friends to do more activities with. Okay. 
So let's focus on kind of where to look for those, for those friends. Does that, does that sound right to you as a place to start? It does. Yeah. Okay. So, so <laughs> I'm thinking about that app, that kind of dating app for friends. What's it called? Oh, Bumble BFF. Bumble BFF. Okay. That's one idea. Okay. You could, or he could, or she could post an ad on Craigslist, say I'm looking for friends. Post an ad in the, in the local newspaper. <laughs> that is very As if it's 1925. <laughs> We're not evaluating that. We're we are not it. evaluating. Okay. Um, you, he could um, go out on the street and just ask people if they want to be his friend. They could go to a coffee shop and chat with the people working there. Yeah, they could go um, sign up for a pottery class and try to talk to as many people as possible when they take the class. They could reconnect with old friends and see if any new friendships evolve. They could join a become religious, join a religious group, and, you know, try to make friends in that way. Join meetup.com. <laughs> Should we keep going? I feel like we could do this forever. It's, it's fun to let your mind just kind of wander and think of any possible solutions. We so rarely allow ourselves to just kind of not evaluate and just freely brainstorm. So that was an an example of just free-flowing, creative brainstorming without evaluating or being critical of any of the ideas at first. And the reason we say that is because if you start judging the ideas you come up with, it's just going to block your creative process. I think we are not the experts on this. I think if you talk to any kind of artist or creative person, they would tell you that evaluating your ideas before they're really formed is not, is not helpful. Yeah, and so, and so, and our next step here, now that we've kind of come up with a list of creative solutions, potential solutions, is to choose one or two solutions that fits our goal, which is to find friends to do activities with, and solutions that you think are likely to work. So not something too outrageous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the reason we kind of choose outrageous ones, we, were, we didn't even get that outrageous. In, in this session, I think maybe like, what was the one you said about like just going into the middle of the street and screaming, who wants to be my friend? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, probably not the solution you're gonna pick. And the reason we throw those in there is because it, again, it just kind of expands your mind. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like the solutions that might be most likely to work for this individual might be to join meetup.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I like that one. I, I also like what you said about joining a specific community. Like you mm -hmm. said, a religious community. It could be something like that. Like I think, you know, we, what we know is that when you have repeated interactions with people, friendships are most likely to form. So something where you can kind of go back every week or every month, something, something yeah. like that. So joining maybe like a book club or some kind of like, some kind of class repeated mm -hmm. activity. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like those. Okay, so then our next step and our final step is to put this solution into action. Okay, so that would be, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of our conversation last week about opposite action, how if your goal is to go on a run and you're feeling really depressed, the first step might be to just lift yourself up in bed and put on your sneakers. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so in this case, it might be to open your computer, go to meetup.com and start to join some groups. So not to say, okay, well now I have to go to five meetups this week because that's not, that's, that's probably not going to actually work. And then you're going to feel more defeated. And like I failed and I, I'm feeling lonely and I didn't meet my, you know, goal that I set for myself. So being reasonable here and trying to put the solution into action by taking little steps and starting with the first step that's needed to put that solution into action. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, other obstacles that can get in the way are the thoughts and feelings that accompany doing something like putting yourself out there and meeting new people. And so we're going to get to that in a moment when we teach the next set of skills. Okay. So let's kind of zoom out for a second and talk about this skill more broadly. So I think we've all kind of had the experience of trying to solve a problem for someone who doesn't want your help, right? Yeah. Have you had that experience? I certainly have, yes. Um, and, you know, something we've learned as therapists in particular is that this skill really only works when the person is willing and ready to solve the problem. Yeah, I mean, we can think of the most creative solutions to problems for other people in our lives, and none of that matters if the other person doesn't actually want to solve the problem. So it can feel so frustrating and defeating when you think of all these creative um, solutions for someone in your life, and they just, they just don't want your help. Mm-hmm. I think something that can really help you with that, managing your distress around that is to practice some kind of acceptance or in DBT, we call it radical acceptance, which is a skill that we'll get to when we talk about distress tolerance skills, but really just to kind of accept that this person doesn't want my help and there may be nothing I can do about that. So it's causing me more suffering to try to solve someone else's problem who doesn't actually want my help. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really, it's a good and hard way to think about it. Mm -hmm. And if you find yourself in a situation where problem solving would be helpful and you just don't want to do it, it's possible that you could be experiencing willfulness as we call it in DBT, which again, we'll get to later on in the podcast. Briefly, it, it, you know, it just means that it might be helpful to try other skills first in order to get into wise mind so that you can then solve the problem. And at the end of the day, it might be effective for you to just accept that now isn't the right time to work on this and, and future in the future it might be. Mm -hmm. I think this is a perfect time for us to transition into mindfulness of current emotions and thoughts, because that is another strategy you can use when you don't want to problem solve, but you're still experiencing or, and you're experiencing, you know, uncomfortable or distressing emotions. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to the example that we problem solved for and say, you know, you've gone with the solution of joining meetup.com and going out to, you know, some group activity to, to make more friends or to try to meet people. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sounds great on paper. And let's say that you have social anxiety and, you know, now you're in the situation where you're going out by yourself and trying to meet people and you're acting effectively, you're doing what's in line with your values, you wanna make more friends, and that's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of the, one of the main reasons that 
a lot of us don't act effectively is because we're afraid of experiencing those uncomfortable emotions and thoughts and internal experiences that come along with putting ourselves into new situations. So yeah. let's talk about, you know, how this skill could apply to, to apply to that. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you've gotten yourself to the meetup and you're there, you know, with your social anxiety in tow, you're probably <laughs> maybe going to make a little blunder at this meetup, right? What might be yep. some examples? We, we love talking about social anxiety blunders. <laughs> um, the amount of times that I have said good morning to somebody at 9 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> or when someone says, how are you? You'll be like, thank you. Maybe you might spill a drink on someone or trip or, I mean, we truly could go on all day because we love thinking of these, <laughs> these examples. <laughs> and the embarrassment and shame that you might feel after doing these things could ruin your night. And like, I'm sure we all could think of examples of times when we've embarrassed ourselves and it's completely taken us out of the moment and made it almost impossible to not spend the rest of the party ruminating uncontrollably and just kind of not participating in the experience. Yeah, and again, it reminds me of what we talked about last week with opposite action, how if you don't act all the way opposite, your emotions aren't gonna change. It's the same here with problem solving. You're not gonna solve the problem of, of not having enough friends to do activities with if when you go try to meet people, you're so in your head that it prevents you from actually forming connections with people. Again, really a lot easier said than done. And here's where the skills come in to try to help you. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about ruminating for a second because it is one of those, it's ruminating really does take us out of the moment. And one of the things I think that Liza and I have both learned about rumination through our you know, past few years is that rumination often tries to help you kind of figure out why something happened so it can protect you from feeling that emotion again. So if you spill a drink on someone, you might be ruminating about like, how did I let that happen? I shouldn't have gotten that drink and I shouldn't have walked over to that person. And why was I even there? And you know, it's trying to figure out what happened to protect you from it happening again. Yeah, that was, I love that explanation. And you know, instead, if you can say to your mind, when you notice yourself ruminating uncontrollably, you know what mind? I don't need you to protect me. I can handle this embarrassment, shame, whatever. Your mind actually calms down. It, it's pretty amazing how well this works. It really is because if you can kind of, it's almost like you take the power away from the rumination when you say like, okay, like I can feel this, I can practice this mindfulness of current emotions in this case, or thoughts, I guess, um, of ob observing the body sensations, observing the thoughts that I'm having, and I can experience them even though it's uncomfortable and I can be willing to experience them even though it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. That allows you to throw yourself back into the party and, and really fully participate. Yeah. Yeah. We, we call this in DBT and in a lot of different therapies, emotional exposures. So just kind of making yourself feel the emotion and kind of cutting through that, those thoughts to just feel whatever it is that you're feeling. Um, I, I was thinking back recently to when I would get in my car at the end of a really long day 
in grad school and I would just immediately start ruminating. And I, I know from working with clients over the years that I am not alone in this. I think a lot of people, the car is almost like a cue to start ruminating mm-hmm. the second you, you sit down by yourself and start driving. Yep. And yeah, and it's, I, I really um, taught myself to use this skill when I would notice myself ruminating. I just think in the car, it's so easy to kind of go on autopilot and just like catch yourself ruminating for 20 minutes and you didn't even quite realize you were doing it. And so I really tried, not perfectly, of course, to train myself to just notice when that was happening and just say to myself, okay, wait a second, what's going on here? What emotion are you feeling? And then just feel that emotion for a moment. And it honestly works like a charm. You got to try it. it. Yeah, I definitely recommend everyone try that because I've done that too, and it really works very well. Um, so let's talk about like how to actually do this. Um, you know, one of the things that you said was to kind of just go there. And so it actually reminds me of the conversation we had last, or I don't know, maybe a week or two ago about check the facts and how when you want to check the facts, one of the steps is to identify what's a catastrophe and to really allow yourself to feel that worst case scenario. So in your case, it's like, or even in this example that we're giving, you know, I totally embarrassed myself or I made a huge mistake today. And just allow yourself to feel what that feels like in your body. So using your senses to kind of observe and describe what that experience is like. Yeah. So like my heart is pounding, my chest feels tight, my legs are tingling, you know, whatever it is. And then just to let it pass without attachment, without judgment. Um, Remember we talked a few weeks ago when we talked about components of an emotion that if left on their own and not, you know, interacted with in your mind. So if you're not just thinking, overthinking it, emotions really last for about 90 seconds or less. And so if you can just kind of ride the wave of the emotion and even be curious about how it feels in your body, it's likely to cause a lot less suffering than if you don't do that. Mm -hmm. So if you're at this party and you start to notice that feeling of embarrassment in your body, you might say, I'm noticing myself having a pit in my stomach. I'm noticing, you can notice thoughts too. I'm noticing myself having the thought that everyone here thinks I'm a loser, that no one wants to be my friend. And it's, again, it's important to say like, I'm noticing myself having the thought um, that's different than saying I'm a loser and just reciting your thoughts out loud because that looks more like rumination. Um, yes, when absolutely. You- it's, it's, I noticed the thought that if you take nothing else away from this episode, remember that it's, it's really, really helpful in gaining distance from your thoughts. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. It puts a little separation between you and the thought. Noticing myself having the thought that people think I'm a loser. Um, so when you kind of feel these physical sensations and notice these thoughts, it's important, like Liza said, not to judge them. So it's the same way that you would maybe watch, if you're sitting on the beach, you would watch a wave. So you're not jumping into the ocean and allowing yourself to get sucked under by the riptide, which is what happens when we ruminate and that takes us out of the moment and causes a lot of suffering. But instead, what we're saying with this skill is gonna help you do is to sit on the beach and sit back and kind of watch the waves come and go. 
Yeah. Yeah. Just to throw in another metaphor here, because it can be helpful. It's kind of like, if you are the theater, your thoughts and feelings are the actors in the play. Mm -hmm. So if the actors make a mistake or embarrass themselves, doesn't really say much about you. You're just a theater where the actors are hanging out for the night and another play might happen tomorrow night. That's totally different. So you're almost like the vehicle for those thoughts and feelings to happen. However, you are not the thoughts or emotions themselves. I find it extremely calming and helpful to remember that you are so much more than the internal experiences that you have. Like those are fleeting and passing and like a wave they come and go and they can be really painful. It can, there can be tsunamis, but they don't last forever. Yeah. And it's, and like you said, you know, you're the theater, you're the thing that are, that's holding all of these. And so just remembering that can be, can just give you some perspective, I think, um, when you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of this might sound like the mindfulness skills that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. And that's because they are mindfulness skills. Also, you know, these, these ideas come from Buddhist philosophy. So if you're familiar with, if you if you're familiar with Buddhism, that's certainly where these ideas originate from. Um, I think what makes these particular skills, mindfulness of current emotion and mindfulness of current thought distinct from just general mindfulness is that we're focusing specifically on mindfulness of internal experiences, as opposed to being mindful of everything. So kind of what's going mm-hmm. on in the world outside as well. Yeah, exactly. And, and when you practice mindfulness of internal experiences of your thoughts and feelings, like we talked about, it can really help you gain distance from the experience and not get swept up in it. So not getting swept up in that wave, but instead having some distance from it and sitting on the beach and watching it. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked a lot about mindfulness of current emotion, I think. So now let's move on to mindfulness of current thought, which is similar. Um, The idea is to gain distance. As Molly said, it could be as easy as just saying, I'm noticing the thought that this person thinks I'm a loser, right? Instead of just, Mm -hmm. I'm a loser. Um, I'm going to do a brief, I'm going to lead you through a brief mindfulness exercise to illustrate one way that we sometimes teach clients to think about mindfulness of current thought. And I just want to preface it by saying, you know, if you are listening to this podcast somewhere where you can't fully participate in this exercise, maybe you're driving, maybe you're cooking, whatever, not a problem. You can always come back to this part later, or you can just listen to me talk about the concepts and you can try it yourself once you're, you know, once you're in a different situation. Okay, I'm excited. Okay, so I'll, I'll lead Molly through it, and then you can kind of imagine that you're Molly in the situation if you're listening at home. Um, <laughs> really breaking the fourth wall here. Um, so, okay, Molly, I want you to either close your eyes or kind of rest them gently in a space in front of you. I think actually for this one, it might be more effective to close your eyes, although you can do whatever you're most comfortable with. Just sit straight up in your chair, hands and willing hands on your lap, palms facing up. And I want you to imagine being in a really large aquarium, one of those ones where it's 
kind of like a 360 view of an aquarium and there are fish tanks covering every single wall. Maybe it's even the ceiling and the floor. There are fish swimming by you and there's just lots of beautiful fish all swimming by. Just imagine yourself standing there. What I want you to do is just fix your eyes on one place in the room. So pick a direction, it could be the ceiling, it could be the floor, it could be one of the walls, and just stare. And what's gonna happen is lots of different fish are gonna swim by and you're not gonna move. You're not gonna shift your eyes. And there might be a really large fish that's grabbing your attention and it might be kind of scary or maybe it's just really colorful or beautiful and it might really be kind of pulling you to look at it and to follow it as it swims. And what I want you to do is just let it go. Because the problem is that if you focus too long on that one fish, you're gonna miss all the other beautiful fish that are swimming by. And just keep doing that for a moment. And I want you to think about your thoughts as being those fish that are swimming by you. Some are really big and feel really consuming some less so, and some thoughts are just kind of pulling you to stick with them. And I want you to just keep staring in one place and letting the thoughts swim by. And maybe that one thought will come back and you'll see it again and that's okay. And just keep letting it swim away and look at the new one that comes in its place. Okay, and when you're ready, you can open your eyes and come back into the room. Wow, thank you. How was that for you? It was really, it was really interesting. Well, first of all, I feel very relaxed. Hmm, good. Um, but in addition to that, I also noticed that I had the urge to look around. Like I was really curious about the other fish. Hmm. Um, as you were talking, I was kind of like, okay, I was picturing this one fish with like a big fin that was kind of hooking my attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and hooking. Yeah, that's a really good way to think about it. Yeah. And like, you know, I was kind of feeling myself being like really attached to it. Like it was hard to let go. I was really fused with it. And then when you kind of said to just let it go, I was like, all right, he's going to swim away. And I noticed all these other fish colors and interesting shapes and sizes, and it was really enjoyable. And then that original fish swam around again. Hmm. And I was like, oh, here you are again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that can happen. The thought might come back as long as you then notice it. Notice that it's there, maybe label it or name it, and then just watch it swim by. Yeah, I think I, I love this exercise. I think it's a really, really helpful metaphor too. even thinking about the example that we went through before, you know, of, of what that person at that meetup might miss out on if they spent the whole evening focusing on that one fish yeah. that is hooking their attention and kind of keeps, even if it does keep swimming around and around, like missing all those other beautiful fish. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that, that this is a really helpful exercise to do when you are ruminating intensely and it's okay if the thoughts come back, you know, you, you can't control that. What matters is how you respond. And if you can just kind of think of it as a fish swimming by or a cloud going by, it can be there and then it can pass and you can use your mindfulness skills to bring your attention back to participate in whatever you're doing. One thing I do want to say about this too, like a little disclaimer, is that this is not a way to avoid your thoughts or feelings, which I think sometimes people can use it as. Yes. Uh, and it's understandable why, because it's, you know, it, it probably works. It could work in that way. Um, but, but that's not the way that we want to relate to our thoughts um, because it really just doesn't work in the long run. So instead, it's more of an attitude of like gentleness and kind of noticing like, oh, oh, hey, like, here's that thought again. Oh, here's that story again that I'm a loser. Or, you know, oh, I'm noticing the thought that these people don't like me. And not trying to push it away, but just noticing that you're having that and then making a choice to focus your attention on whatever matters to you in that moment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Trying to really quickly push it away and make the fish swim as quickly as possible is not going to work. <laughs> it's just going to mm -hmm. come back. It's a matter of noticing it, acknowledging it, accepting it to some extent, and then just, you know, letting it pass, pass by. Should we transition into coaching? Yes. So we're going to try to use an example. I'm up this week that combines problem solving and mindfulness of current thought and emotion so that we can illustrate how sometimes solving a problem, as we mentioned earlier, can, you know, be something that we want to avoid because we don't want to feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. So I have an example that I have a suspicion other listeners might be able to relate to. My neighbors in my apartment make a lot of noise and I don't think it's their fault or that they're doing it intentionally. And it is bothering me to the point that I need help solving the problem. Okay. Yeah. This is definitely something that I think a lot of people can relate to mm -hmm. um, having loud, loud neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it lends itself really well to problem solving. So what, how would you describe like the emotion that you experience when they're stomping on the floor, let's say? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lots of emotions at once. I think, um, you know, it's interesting because it's, it's feeling kind of frustrated or annoyed mostly. And then there's this added layer of, I guess, if you would call it fear, some kind of like, I need to do something about this. Mm -hmm. So maybe like a it's urgency. Yeah. A sense of urgency and, and maybe even like some self, some self judgment. I know that's not an emotion, you know, maybe some, some embarrassment or shame that I haven't done anything about it yet. I don't mm -hmm. know. But I, let's, I think, I think mostly it's feeling frustrated. Okay. So mostly it's frustration um, with it, what sounds like a side of 
really wanting to problem solve. So it's good that we're problem solving. Frustration I, with a side of urgency. Exactly. Okay. So, and do you think that that frustration with a side of urgency fits the facts? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think it does. I think, you know, the, the rumination that's always going on in my head in this moment is, um, it's interesting that, I think it is rumination. It's like, it's no one's fault. The walls are thin, you know, no one is doing this on purpose. I'm sure it's fine. It's almost like ruminating. It's also, yeah, it's avoiding. It's, it's avoiding solving the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and rumination often does function to avoid solving problems. It, it feels productive, but yeah. it, it ends up not being. Yes. Um, so yeah, so I'm glad we're doing this. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so I do think if it's the facts to be frustrated um, when you, you know, are just trying to relax at home and, and there's a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. I agree. So let's describe the problem that you're experiencing using just the facts. So what, are, what exactly have you observed that, that's causing the loud sounds or what kinds of sounds have you observed? Mm, definitely a lot of uh, foot, like stomping. Mm -hmm. um, or what sounds to me like stomping, it might not be because I have learned in my research about this problem that a lot of times <laughs> it's the way that the building is, you know, constructed such that even the tiniest little footstep can create this like rumbling, you know, noise. Mm -hmm. So I actually I don't know what's stomping. causing the noise. Or sorry, we'll call it um, walking. Walking. Some sure. kind of like, some kind of footsteps that mm -hmm. you're hearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else that you hear? Um, sometimes some voices or music. Okay. Um, so the problem situation is I live in an apartment and I can hear footsteps, voices, and music of my upstairs neighbors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what is your, like, how would you want this to work out? Like, how would you want it to be different if we could solve this problem for you? Yeah, this is an important question because, I mean, what I would want is for there to be no noise ever. And um, thinking about the reality of the situation and what's actually feasible, I would want there to be, I guess, reduced noise and more awareness on the part of my neighbors because I genuinely do think that they just aren't aware because mm -hmm. they're the top floor. So they might, they just don't know how, how sound travels in the building. Um, so just like, I, I would like the, the, the noise to be lessened. Okay, great. That's, I like that as a goal. Um, it's, it sounds feasible. So let's go through our brainstorming of different solutions. Maybe we can do this together, just thinking of as many solutions as we can without evaluating any of them at this point. Okay. Um, so what are ways that we could reduce the noise in your apartment coming from the upstairs neighbors? Well, I've done a lot of research on this, so I can tell you, you can get foam padding to put on the ceiling. Okay. You could go into their apartment and steal all their shoes, so they can't they can't walk around with shoes or boots on. I could move or ask them to move. Yeah, you could write them a letter and ask them to 
you know, politely ask them to stop walking so loudly. I could call and scream angrily at the top of my lungs. You could reach out to your landlord and ask them to solve the problem for you. I could get a white noise machine or blast my own music to drown it out. Yeah, you could get noise-canceling headphones. Hmm. Could go on. There are lots of different solutions here. Are there any of those that you feel like might be actually likely to work? I mean, I guess the polite letter one <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably seems the most effective. Um, you really think that would be more effective than stealing all their shoes? <laughs> <laughs> Breaking and entering in their apartment? <laughs> Maybe that one is next if, if, the, if the letter doesn't work. Okay. Um, so how, what would be kind of the first step that you would need to take in order to put that solution into action? I mean, so here's the thing. This is, this is where the mindfulness of emotions and thoughts comes in. I, I think I have known in the back of my mind for a while that that's the effective thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's still helpful to problem solve because there are other options that, you know, could lessen the noise, like a white noise machine, like, you know, noise canceling headphones, whatever. And I think I've kind of known what the most effective solution is. The problem is that I, you know, I don't want to have to deal with this confrontation. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, it's going to bring up a lot of uncomfortable feelings to have to say something like that to a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I've been, I've been on the other end of that where there's been a noise complaint against me and I have felt like I, I wasn't making any noise, you know, what are they talking about? Or mm-hmm. there's really nothing I can do about this. It must just be that the walls are so thin because I'm, I'm just living my life normally. Right. So there may be uncomfortable, like, emotions. It's almost like fear that your neighbors will be mad at you, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or that they'll think it's an unreasonable request. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so to kind of deal with those feelings, like, one is that, you know, I'm sure you can write the letter in a way that makes it clear that you're, you know, not asking them not to live their life and all of that. Like, I'm sure you can word it in an effective way. But in addition to that, it does seem like the mindfulness of current thoughts could be helpful because I could imagine there's a lot of stories your mind could make up about how they're going to react. Like once you write the letter and maybe <laughs> slide it under their door or whatever, yeah. I mean, I, I'm just thinking like I could see my mind going wild there of just like they're going to get it and they're going to be so angry and this and that and just coming up with all these things that haven't even actually happened yet. So that's where that mindfulness of thoughts would be really helpful to interrupt that process and instead be like, I'm noticing myself having the thought that my neighbors are going to come downstairs at any moment and yell at me. Yeah. And I think this is why it's so important to, to kind of have this skill in our toolboxes because again, it's like if, if in this conversation with you, Molly, I'm thinking, okay, so it's probably going to be uncomfortable when I do this and I have skills to handle it. And I know that in advance. So avoiding it is not going to be effective and it's also not necessary because I know what to do. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm glad that you feel that way. I, and, and the other thing I'll say too, is like our, our all the solutions that we generated, um, it sounds like we picked one that you're going to try out, see how it goes. It may be that that solution doesn't end up working. Yeah. You know, 
I hope that it will and it may not, or maybe it'll partially work. Like maybe the noise will be reduced, but not enough. And so in that case, you know, you can go through this exercise again and brainstorm more solutions or even pull from the ones that we generated today and think about, you know, set, giving them the letter and also getting a noise machine or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it may require some, you know, repetition of the skill and also just continuing to think outside the box. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you. That is an anxiety provoking situation that I now have this. <laughs> now I, I now have practiced the skills to handle. Good. Well, I will stay tuned and see how it goes. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. And so to wrap up, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you feel like these skills have been helping you, We'd really love for you to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us and benefit from the skills too. And thank you so much to everyone who has already done that. Yeah. And we also love, you know, hearing from you and having you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Our name is Therapists in the Wild. And like we said earlier in the episode, please always feel free to email us with questions um, or just examples of how you've practiced the skills at therapistinthewild at gmail.com. So until next week, stay skillful, everyone. Mm -hmm.